Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, um, thank you for this chance to meet with you, to meet with each other. We ask that you'd speak to us now through your word in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to St. Bart's. My name's Dave. I'm one of the priests here, as you can see. And uh, we were talking on the way in. I was at the Kessler uh, last night, and someone asked me, what's the difference between St. Bart's and the Kessler? I said, there's more seating here. The music's excellent. Am I not right, Eric? The seat is much more comfortable here, but everything else is pretty much the same. It's, it's just wonderful. Um, so thank you, worship team, uh, Becky and, and Kevin and Lucas and Morgan. Um, we are in, as our, your bulletin will say, the fourth Sunday of Epiphany. So Epiphany is the season, well, um, and it's a season re- which is really predicated on the idea that um, the church is to take the glory of God to the world. So it's, it's the theme that we're in. And we have these fascinating readings that really fit with our vision statement, which is in the back of your bulletin. If you get bored of what I'm saying, feel free to, to go to the back and, and, and you know, uh, read up on them there. Um, but our, our vision statement is that we want, we want to be a church that connects the, connects the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that together we might behold God and become like him. And um, we have some very well-known passages here and as I was preparing, I thought suddenly of friends of ours in London uh, named Luke and Rachel who um, we used to hold these regular worship nights and um, it gave us more time uh, to um, you know, the music could just go on and we could add instruments that, you know, um, two electric guitars, a bass player, three drum kits, not really, but that's what I always wanted, but that's kind of where we would have gone had I stayed. But we would have these regular worship nights and these friends of ours, Luke and Rachel, led a connect group and one night they came to the worship night and they had a significant encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, it was absolutely um, unspectacular from my point of view. Uh, we were in England and you know, some, some British people are more expressive than others, like some Texans are more expressive than others. And the sum of their, the drama of their encounter were like alligator tears just coming down, right? So that was the sensation of it. But the sum of it was, the fruit of it was, is that they had an encounter of God's love. God met them where they were young, very successful professional couple, desperate to have children, mourning over the fact they couldn't. And in that place of mourning, they encountered the the presence of God. He met them in their grief. 
and something happened. They came to me afterwards. They said, we had such a powerful encounter that we've been talking in our connect group and we would love to uh, connect with and host a monthly tea with the people in the assisted living community next to the church. We could play bridge, checkers, chess, whatever it is, and four o'clock, invite people, they'd just come, we'd get them, and they'd come. And I said, well, let me talk to the manager of the assisted, this is 2007, and I said, well, let me talk to the manager, and we went and talked to them, he said, well, we don't really allow faith-based organizations in here, so thanks, but no thanks, so the door was shut. Nine months go by, 2008 hits, the financial crisis hits, and the the funding for their programming dries up, and suddenly the manager comes to me and says, would you like the keys to our facility? We need help. And so all of a sudden, Luke and Rachel, who met God in their place of pain and encountered his presence, started hosting. Now, they're like late 20s, both very successful lawyers, um, and would spend and lived their spare time playing cards with elderly people who'd, got, who'd been forgotten by the world. No living relatives, it was that kind of place. And we'd have these, you know, regular things. It was absolutely fascinating. We had a whole other set of challenges, which was that uh, we had to install a tea loop into the church because we suddenly had an influx of people who had hearing aids. And we were concerned that it would be too loud for them. And they said, no, it's not too loud. We'll just turn the hearing aids off. Uh, That was blissful. Uh, And then, you know, but we had to accommodate certain challenges. And what happened was, is that this couple beheld the Father in worship and were shaped by him. And it led to an incredible, incredible kingdom work. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Turn with me to your bulletins. Let's look at the Beatitudes. Um, And the Beatitudes... Uh, Matthew's gospel, begin verse one, seeing the crowds, there are crowds, not one crowd, there are crowds, and Matthew four describes this crowd. So news in Matthew 4, 24 talks about news has spread all over Syria, and all who were ill with various diseases who were suffering severe pain and other male ailments, those who were demon-possessed and paralyzed, were coming. Okay, so one part of the crowd are the sick and the troubled and the afflicted. The other part are people from Galilee. Okay, well, we know a little bit of Galilee, you know. And the Decapolis. Well, this is problematic for Jews because the Decapolis is filled with pagans who lived across the lake. And if you know your Old Testament history, Jews and pagans didn't really party well together. They kind of were segregated for, uh, because of their beliefs. They were also going from Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan. Jesus sees the crowds, and he looks to his disciples. And what does he do? He goes up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Other translations said, he began to teach his disciples. Now, we often think that he addressed the whole crowds, and I'm sure some heard. But he is taking the diversity of people who are following him, 
and how uncomfortable his disciples would have felt because this is different than anything we have been taught up till now. And he begins to teach them about his kingdom. He begins to teach him about the kingdom work. And it's the beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry. And what we have here isn't, you know, systematic theology, which is, has its place. What we have here is Jesus, and it was like an Eastern tactic in teaching. He's setting out a bullet point list with alliteration. All starts with B. See what he did there? That's where the Bible church got it, actually. Um, um, but he's setting out a list of the central tenets of his kingdom theology. Here are the basic principles that guide the work that we are called to do. And scholars make the case that if you take the sum of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, it all falls under this list of Beatitudes. So Jesus starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, like me, you'll have heard a myriad of sermons about the Beatitudes. And I will say that my sense has always been when I've heard this is that I have to aspire to be like this. That this is, this is the advice, that I need to try my best and aspire to be humble and aspire to be meek. But it doesn't really work. Jesus does, isn't giving out here a sense of aspirations. And the, the key is in what we understand the translation to mean of what it means to be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? What is Jesus saying when he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit? Do I need to aspire to be poor in spirit? Blessed means God's favor. God's favor. You find yourself in God's favor. Or God's favor is on those who are poor in spirit. And if this is something we're we're to aspire to, then it really becomes God's favors on somebody else, because I'm not there yet. Moses, in the Pentateuch, we think Moses wrote this of himself, says Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. (laughs) I mean, I ascribe to that biblical sense of humility. I am the most humble man that ever lived, said myself. I'm not. That's the problem if it's just about aspiring. If we're to aspire to them, it becomes about God's favor being on someone else. And when you're suffering, when you're mourning, when you are poor in spirit, you already believe that God is answering prayers for somebody else but not you, because your prayers, for whatever reason, are on hold, call waiting, or whatever it is. When I'm there, God's favor is on me. Well, consider the poor in spirit. Doesn't sound very desirable, does it? Consider mourning. It's not something we pray for or aspire to. It's something that happens to us. And so is Jesus telling us here that we're to pursue a state of mourning? 
it would be out of, it would be discordant, really, with who he's revealed us, God to be in himself and the rest of his teaching. It's a bit dated now, but absolutely impactful. Uh, Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, is about this big, feels like it's this big to me, but it's this big, really well written, all about the Sermon on the Mount. I commend it to you. It really has helped me change the way I see uh, Jesus' teaching here. And this is what Dallas Willard suggests. He suggests that the Beatitudes aren't a list of things to aspire to, but a pronouncement of God's blessing on the people that the world thinks are obsolete. No use to anyone. Remember, our world often thinks of us as useful as long as we can contribute something. And so one of the great exam questions at Oxford was, as a priest, if you were able to lose the ability to communicate with the world, would you still have a ministry? Discuss. 3,000 words. The yes-no didn't really cut it there. Um, but if you're poor in spirit, if you are lacking in spirit, that means it's that you have something that you want. Spirit is something um, that we love. I was at Covenant School on Friday night for their hoopla, and this 14-year-old full of gusto going in to win his basketball game was loud, too loud, just oozy with spirit. And we looked at him and said, I remember that. I haven't felt it in 30 years, but you know, that, that is an abundance of spirit. If someone's mourning, they're in a tough place. And usually the world will think when they stop mourning, they will find God and, and be of use. They can start their ministry again, right? That's often the, what the, the, the church says to people in mourning. Instead, Jesus says, no, 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 no. God's already here. He's in that place. God's favor is already on that person. God's favor is on the poor in spirit, not when they figure it out and get back to, get back to who they are, but God's favor is on the poor in spirit. So in essence, you could read what Jesus is saying here, which I think is true to the text. I'm happy to discuss it with any of you is what, what Dallas Willard says is God is for those who are spiritually bankrupt. God is for those who mourn. God is for those who are meek, not only for them, but seeks to draw them near to himself and to fill them with his presence. Inherently problematic. If you believe that your religious observation is going to guarantee that you're in the right place with God. Now, holy living has its place, right? But elevating a form of religious observance above the presence of God will never lead you to God. Because remember, religious observance is about our effort. It's about our ability to do something in the whole glorious thing about the gospel is that God has come to us. Like that, it feels odd saying it's an oldie, but that song we opened with, Light of the World, 
Oh, my word. That the light of the world stepped into our darkness so that we can be here to worship him. That's the glory we have to share with East Dallas and the world. And so if you look at the Beatitudes again, it's almost like they're two lists. The first half of the Beatitudes are all about the internal things, the experience, the things that go, that happen to our heart as we go through life, right? So you have uh, poverty of spirit, mourning, being meek is, is, is that ability in your heart either to restrain your own power or the dark side of it is, is that you were once powerful and you're now being suppressed or oppressed. The second half of the list, it really is all about how we want to reach out to the brokenness and minister to it, right? So we have blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ministering to brokenness is tough. Some of you know it, it's your, it's your profession. Showing mercy is a wonderful idea until you have to do it. You know, it's great chicken soup for the soul, but the moment you start to taste it, it feels like it's tearing you apart. Why? Because that's what it did to Jesus. Broke him to pieces. And when we talk about mercy, we're not just talking about excusing bad behavior. We're saying this behavior is unacceptable, you can't do it again, and I forgive you. That's that's powerful, and it's an important distinction. But being merciful is inherently difficult. Being pure in heart. How, in God's name, can we be pure in heart in a world that we live in, this world that we live in? The purity in heart is about pursuing wholeness. Pursuing wholeness is hard work because every decade you enter, you've got a whole new set of issues you've got to work through. Right? And we can't do it on our own. And so, you know, the, the complication becomes greater and greater and greater. I wish, you know... Toby, my four-year-old, made a fatal error. Well, it wasn't fatal because he's still alive. Spiritually fatal. In his quest to find something entertaining to watch, he turned on Care Bears. I was taken back 40 years. And I watched and I thought, if only it was as easy as Care Bears. If only pureness of heart was about rainbows, unicorns, and whatever it is, tummy power. I have a different type of, type of tummy power I've harnessed, but it, it's more to do with food. What about the peacemakers? That's a lose-lose situation. Because if you're a real peacemaker, people on both sides hate you because they don't understand why you're not on their side. That's how I chipped my tooth when I was in ninth grade. I tried to break up a fight, instead I got punched by both sides. My parents, you know, thought I instigated the whole thing, classic. Um, So the first half of the Beatitudes and the second half almost represent these two lists. 
And the important way to see this, these two lists is that they are chiastic, which is they form an X. And the way we read, we often think the most important thing comes at the end. But in the chiastic list, the most important thing comes in the middle, at the intersection of both lists. And so what we have here with the emphasis in the middle is that the, the true hunger and thirst for righteousness, which everyone ought to pursue, if it's done correctly, isn't about rule following, but it's about mercy. It's about righteousness. But as Jesus will then later on say, it's about discovering the benevolent, loving heart of God that has paid every expense in order to bring the knowledge of that love to us. It's about discovering and beholding the heart of God, that is to say, the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, and the heart of the Holy Spirit. Taking care of the poor can only be done if we are filled with something that leads us to generosity. The key to righteousness then isn't so much about being a good rule follower, but it's about being filled with the very presence of God. Let me put it this way. I have an absolute aversion to heights. Reunion Tower is a stretch for me. Okay, ladders are a stretch for me. That's why when I interviewed for this job, they said, is there anything you're not willing to do? I said, yes, change light bulbs. I won't go up the ladders. Well, I will, but I don't like it. Cirque du Soleil is a marvel to me. Have you ever seen a trapeze artist and wonder how do they do that? I was talking to Stephen Smith, was it months ago, and he said, hey, guess what I did this weekend? I said, what? I did a trapeze class. And I said, why would you do that to yourself? And he did it, and he said, you know, the best part is falling. And I said, that would be the most terrifying part for me. And I look at the trapeze artists. I never, oh, have you ever done this? And I've looked at them, and I thought to myself, what would it take for me to do that? Yeah, money. That's right, Matt. Yeah, yeah that's right, money. Well, aside from money, if, if, the spirit of a trapeze artist could come into my body, maybe then I could do it. Maybe then I could do it. And that's the point. What Jesus is showing us is that the kingdom that he is bringing in is absolutely impossible to achieve unless the spirit, as Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the living God enters his people. So Jesus sees a widely varied crowd full of the diversity of his day. And what he sees is he sees how uncomfortable his disciples felt. He says, I want you to understand something. All these people that you think you have labeled and in the right boxes, pagans, people with different beliefs, other stuff, God is with them. Why? Because God is for, the, God is for those who are spiritually bankrupt, God is for those who mourn. God is for those who are meek. Not only for them, but wants to draw near to them and seek to fill them with his presence. Why does Jesus say this? Look with me on page three. 
Isaiah 61. I'm going to close with this. We have this incredible prophecy from the prophet Isaiah who talks about the restoration, the redemption of all things. He talks about a city. And we have a description here similar to the Beatitudes. And it describes the poor, it describes the captives, it describes those who mourn, it describes those, um, you know, who are, to use the words of Dallas Willard, in great need. And Isaiah goes on and he talks about those who will be used by the living God to bring about the redemption. And he says that they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Who? Those who are spiritually well and, and think that all is great and they have all the answers to everything? No, no. Those who are desperately in need of receiving from Jesus. Those who are mourning. Those who have tried tried to meet the brokenness of the world in their own strength and been broken by it in that pursuit because that's what will happen. I've worked with addicts. One out of 10 might get clean for a while. It's hard. It's hard and we can't do it on our own. And so what we need to do is behold, behold Jesus because as we behold him, we become shaped like him. We be empowered by him and enabled by him to do the work of his kingdom. So in a group like this, there are some who are mourning. There are some of us who have had the spirit knocked out of us. Maybe it's a workplace thing. Maybe it's the sudden end of a relationship. Maybe it's you know, a reversal in finances, but you've had the wind knocked out of you. Some of us feel like, for whatever reason, we're in that place where we once thought we were capable, but something in our circumstances have pressed us down. We may not have a foreign oppressor at work in our lives like the Jews did with the Romans, but we may be in a, rela- in a set of circumstances where we are being oppressed or suppressed. And yet there's some of us who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness just to be in that right place again, to know that we're loved, to know that we're worthy of his love all day long. And I just want to say you're in the right place. You're welcome here, and we're never going to tell you to hurry up and get over with it. Because we're not. Why? Because God's favor is already with you. You may not have a a way to experience it. You may not know it yet. But as his community, as your community, we are here with you to walk with you in this. Some of us are dying to meet the challenges of the day. It was a most, it was a a very frequent conversation I had at All Saints. People would come up with all these ideas. We want to stop this, 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 and this. And they'd be infuriated by me because I'd say, tell me about your prayer life. They said, well, we talk about prayer. I said, well, it sounds to me like you want to do the impossible. And unless 
you have a relationship with Jesus that you're counting on him and praying with him and being nurtured in spirit by him, you may have a short window of success, but in the long run, it ain't gonna work. And so we're a community that wants to learn to pray together. There's, a, there's actually a class happening this afternoon at All Saints called Teach Us to Pray, and you can still join. If you want to, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to tell you about it. Ultimately, Jesus is inviting us to be merciful, to reflect the benevolent, loving heart of God that has made it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to step into a position of favor and love where before we do anything for him, we're already, we're already loved and accepted. So why don't we pray? And as we pray, why don't we stand? We're gonna pray for ourselves, we're gonna pray for the world. Lord, we, we lift you all that we've been looking at in the scriptures. And we thank you for the gift you've given us in your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the fact that you haven't left us as orphans, but you've sent your spirit. And even now, Lord, we pray for those in our midst who are poor in spirit, who feel like they've had the wind knocked out of them, however they describe it. And we ask that you'd meet them even now in our midst. Lord, in your mercy, we pray, Lord, for those who are mourning, whether a recent bereavement or one that has happened long ago and still left a hole in their lives. We pray, Jesus, that you would meet them in that place. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for the meek. We ask, Lord, that you'd come and empower them with your spirit. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for those uh, here and further afield who thirst and hunger for righteousness' sake. Would you come, Lord, and empower them and lead them? Lord, in your mercy, we pray that we would all learn to be merciful. Come, Lord Jesus, inform our hearts with yours. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, for those of us, and I think we all need to be continuously moving into wholeness, but for those of us specifically on that journey, would you meet with us? Would you also meet with those who work in this area? Counselors, therapists, prayer ministers, everyone involved in emotional health. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, enable us to be peacemakers. Lord, would you pour out your peace in our city? Would you pour out your peace in our country? Lord, in your mercy. And Lord, we pray for those who are persecuted for the sake of your gospel. We pray especially for those who are ministers of your gospel in areas uh, where it comes at a great cost. We lift up to you your persecuted church and ask that you would minister to it. Lord, in your mercy, accept all these prayers, Heavenly Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.